tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome, everybody, to a new edition of the Peachtree Post on December 23rd. My name is Jason Longshore. I'm one of the managing editors at DirtySouthSoccer.com. With me this morning, as always, is Jarrett Smith. Jarrett, how you doing? I'm good. I'm not one of the managing editors. I'm just along for the ride, and it's a fun <laughs> ride. It has been a fun ride. Um, we've got some stuff to get into today, uh, the last show before Christmas, We'll talk a little bit about some of the things Atlanta United might be looking for from Santa. Uh, The schedule, at least the first two games, came out this week. Um, We'll get into that. We have some super draft conversation and some just general MLS news. There's a few things that have happened around the league that are pretty interesting when you look at the big picture. Um, But let's keep it local first. Atlanta United uh, made some moves this week. Uh, some not any major surprises uh, signed Jacob Peterson, which we were expecting um, been linked to Greg Garza, which kind of came out of nowhere. Ivis Galarza with the scoop there and linked to Yamil Assad from Bella Sarsfield in Argentina, uh, central midfielder. That looks pretty good at this point, according to the Argentine media, uh, same with the Garza deal, and we're still waiting on updates on Brad Fuzan. Uh, um, you know, where do you feel about things right now on the roster side, Derek? Um, I like where it's going. There's still holes. I think you mentioned this on uh, Wednesday night with the ATL soccer chat. There's still holes in different parts of the roster. Um, you still don't really know what you're going to do on the left wing. Um, or center mid, uh, depending on how you want to use Mikel Almiron. Um, so that's a hole you got to fix. The back line's still going to have issues. Uh, Garza, yeah, that, Garza came out of left field. That'd be an awesome pickup. Um, I think Garza would help put the foundation in place uh, with Parkhurst back there for, and Bloom already kind of expected to be back there of a really solid back line. Now, the issue I'm running into with all this, and I think it's great, is how is the depth going to shake out? Because we've had the big names. You've still got one more coming with the next designated player, whoever that may be. But how does the depth shake out? Uh, signing the answer uh, really helps. Um, and he could play on the right side. You know, you can put him in there with Vizal, uh, behind Vizalba if you wanted to. Um, remember, the, ML, the MLS season can be strenuous. It's a long thing. Um, these guys run a lot during the game. If you don't get an idea how much that is, go look up advanced stats, how much especially midfielders run during a game. It's an absurd amount. And, you know, most people kind of already have that idea, so not worry about most people dealing with it. But it's uh, – it's depth that I'm really wondering how they're going to fill it out. And we'll, there's plenty of time. Um, yesterday was the re-entry draft round two, I believe. Atlanta didn't take anyone. I actually thought they might reach out and go after somebody, um, but they did not. I I was actually on the Chris Cludy wagon if he was there. Um, but, you know, now free agency will hit and the super draft. International markets will open up in January. So it's, it's not like we're freaking out. You're, you're in better shape roster-wise than, say, Minnesota is. I know we keep beating that drum. Um, Minnesota's kind of looking like they're trying to put stuff together now, but there's still my biggest issues now are getting someone on the left, uh, shoring up the back line. Garza would be, a lo- would be a big step in that direction, and then just having depth, having guys who, that's a great starting 11. What do you have behind it? Uh, something other than paper bags would be nice. Yeah, there's definitely some holes in – the backup side of this roster when you, you start to dig into it and we'll, you know, for the sake of argument this morning, we'll assume that 
Garza, Guzan, and Assad are, are done deals. That brings you up to 22 on the roster. You still have the third designated player, which we're expecting would be either an attacking midfielder or a left winger, depending on who they get. Um, that will affect both uh, Al Miron's placement on the field and also Jacob Peterson's role, whether it's starter or coming off the bench. Um, and then there's still a few more spots to, to flesh things out. When you kind of dig into a, a depth chart uh, with Guzan, that gives you three goalkeepers. You could see one loaned out, and that would probably be Tambacus. Uh, you have three outside backs with Garza. Um, you have Ambrose and Bloom. You probably want at least one more, or you'd want kind of a utility guy who can play out there when needed. Uh, Zach Lloyd can play on the right when needed, but it's not his, his best position in my opinion. Uh, then you get to center back and you have Parkhurst, you have Lloyd, and you also have Jeff Lorenowitz who assigned who has played both center back and defensive mid in his recent career. Um, and he can kind of give you depth at both. You've got four central midfielders in Chris McCann, Harrison Heath, Kevin Kratz, and Chris Goslin. And Goslin could be another lone candidate. Uh, wide players, you have Vishalva, you have Peterson, and you have Andrew Carlton. And we've talked about what might be best for Carlton moving forward next year, too. Um, attacking mids, if Assad comes through, you have Assad and Almiron. And remember, Almiron could play out on the left, depending on who else comes into the setup. And then up top, you have Kenwin Jones, Brandon Vasquez, Romario Williams, and Jeffrey O'Toole. And Williams and O'Toole are possible lone candidates as well. So while they're, you know, if, this, if these three moves happen and you get to 22 on the roster, you might not have these 22 on your roster on opening day. You could see some loan movement happen. A uh, couple things that came out this morning, I tweeted it out earlier. Ivis Galarsep had a great piece, kind of an MLS roundup, and some nuggets out of that to consider. One thing that jumped out to me immediately was that he said, he stated that Atlanta United received twice the allocation money from NYCFC that it spent to get Sean Johnson um, in the deal that brought him over on, on a, the trade window, which is a pretty nice piece of business. Uh, also, he has talked about Atlanta looking to bring in a top-level center back and then the third designated player. So they're not done. I think it's a good roster as it stands right now. I think there are some questions. And the biggest question that I wanted to bring up this morning is who's going to score the goals? And right now you have Kenwin Jones as really the prime candidate. And beyond that, you have a lot of really good connecting pieces, but not necessarily goal scorers. Yeah, that's a good point. We've talked about, you know, how much talent they put on this field, but uh, you bring up a good point that now we're into the point where you've got creators. Um, you've got a guy like Sajaba who can break down the right wing within, uh, with based, based on his speed. If he is, if he uses it correctly, um, and until he plays, I'm still just going to think of him as Dennis Schroeder in that he's faster than everybody, but can he control it? Because that was Schroeder's issue with the Hawks in the NBA. Is first year, first few years, Schroeder is faster than anybody in the league, like all, on the ball. Um, his first step, he could get around anyone, but he didn't really, con- he didn't know how to really control it. He'd be out of control. Um, I want to see if the, see if we have that issue with Vajalba. I hope, I hope it's never an issue. But I want to see if that's something to concern, to concern ourselves with. Um, you got Almiron who can connect the ball. Kenwin's a target forward. Um, we got to see how Kenwin is at finishing at this point. And uh, how often is he going to be in that situation where he's kind of taking the ball at the top of the box in a holdup for someone to make a run? Um, you know, you've got, you're, you're potentially going to have good, you know, wingbacks who can make overlapping runs, which would be great, but. I don't know. I think a lot of this hinges on who do you sign next as that DP? Um, do you sign a finisher? Someone who can cut into the, who can cut inside and finish someone who can go down the wing, uh, who can play up top if they need to. Um, man, look, the Bjorn Johnson train don't stop in this station. So I'll beat that drum for a while. Um, 
So there's another though. Bjorn Johnson is a is an American international who's playing for Hearts in Scotland, and uh, he's was the player of the month over there, which I realize doesn't mean a lot to most people because the Scottish league is not good. Um, but uh, he's a six foot five target striker who's more of a speed guy than uh, than like a traditional you know hold up player. But um, yeah, it's a uh, that's, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know. Oh, by the way, right now, uh, Johnson's got six goals in 16 games and three assists to go along with it. Um, but outside of Kenwin, you don't know what you're really going to get. There's a lot to uh, – there's a lot – and we talked about it. There's a lot more to take it apart, put it together. Does Vasquez develop? Uh, what about Andrew Carlton? Um, and then as we list off these names, a lot of these guys are – they're good, but they're more setup guys than finishers. And do you have a clinical finisher? Can you find one? Yeah, that's that's the question as you start to dig, you know, a, a step deeper into this roster is, you know, the the really good pieces you have added right now with Bichalba, with Almiron, neither one of those guys are out-and-out goal scorers. They're more connectors and creators. Uh, Jacob Peterson is a winger. Um, he had his I think, career high last year with six goals. Um, it's really right now a lot of pressure on Kenwin Jones to be that, that goal-scoring figure. What I think that could point to is when you're looking at this third designated player signing, I don't think it's necessarily another forward, but I think it is a, you know, to me with the biggest hole in the way I think Martino will want to play. I think it's a, a central attacking midfielder that will play behind Jones that can score goals. And, you know, the type of player I'm, I'm talking about and for kind of longtime MLS fans, Christian Gomez uh, from DC United was that type of guy. He was a, you know, in a number 10 type of role, but wasn't a playmaker. He could get forward and score almost like a second forward uh, yeah. For those of you who play football manager, like a shadow striker type of role out of that midfield, I think that's what you're looking for, or you're going to see maybe a tweak to some of the systems that Martino wants to run to get another goal scorer on the field, either where they're kind of a midfielder and they have some midfield responsibilities, but they really play as a second forward with Jones just to take some pressure off of him because you can't put all of your goal scoring on one guy. You're going to need somebody else who's a threat. And Almiron and Bishalba are threats with their speed. But if you look at their career records, they're not big goal scorers. You know, they, they pop some during the season, they get away on some breaks, but they're not out and out clinical finishers. You need probably another one of those guys who can get you double digits and goals to really be a contender. If he wasn't going, uh, if he wasn't, I'm sorry, he's not going anywhere right now because uh, nothing's confirmed. If he wasn't in the whirlwind of rumors, I look at a guy like a Darlington Nagby, who right. can uh, kind of be that attacking mid who can come up and be that, you know, that other striker, uh, shadow striker, as you say. Uh, somebody, yeah, just to take the pressure off because let's say and we've, we've dabbled in formations and they're trivial at this point, a uh, 4 one 4 one and if Kenwin's up by himself, like thing, one of the things I took away from when we were able to watch Kenwin some this year is I felt like he was better when he had someone up there with him. You know, it doesn't have to be an out and out striker in you know a four four two, but I felt like he was better when he had someone with him who could make runs off of him, other instead of just being him up there by himself. Yes, and he, it'd be nice to have somebody more in a central role who can do that as opposed to Vishalba or the left wing, if it's Almiron or someone else making those runs from a wider position. You know, you look at some, some midfielders in the league who, who score goals and you have a Diego Valeri, you have an Ignacio Piatti, uh, Piatti would play up top some too. Um, you have a Chris Pontius who has scored goals from the midfield as well as playing up top. Frank Lampard. I mean, that type of player who makes the late runs into the box, and can, again, take that pressure off of the, the striker being your only goal-scoring threat. I think that's something to look for with this third designated player signing. And, and Oscar Romero could have been that type of player, but Chinese money trumps mucha plata, we have learned this week. 
Yeah. Um, look, that's that's just a thing, man. I mean, look how much money they're throwing. I saw a rumor this week. I don't know how substantial it was, but that, that some Chinese team was willing to offer uh, to buy out Messi's clause on his contract with Barcelona and pay him like $100 million a year, which they could do. Like, it's not a matter of, oh, can, can they afford it? No, no, they can afford it. Don't get me wrong. They can afford it. Um, hundred million a year is a hell of a uh, that's a hell of a goalpost to set to, to make someone say no to. Yeah, that's a tough one because um, that's like setting you up completely for life. Uh, the Chinese league and that whole discussion. I mean, we could we could get into that for hours about what the ultimate effect of the Chinese Super League on world soccer and MLS will be. I think if they start going after more players like a Romero that is in the orbit of MLS clubs now, that's going to be something MLS has to take into account. And it, it doesn't mean necessarily just then opening the, the checkbook and going nuts, but it does mean, okay, what else can MLS offer compared to the Chinese league and how can they sell it? And you know, the better level of competition is one. Uh, actually getting paid on time is another, as we've learned. Um, there's lots of different things, but it's going to be an issue for MLS if China starts to not just go after the Messies and, and top-level guys, you know, maybe later in their career, but go after those up-and-coming players that MLS is starting to target out of South America. Hey, look, if in, let's say, four years' time, three years' time, they want to bid stupid money on, uh, on Tito Vijalba, I'm, I'm here for that. After we've had a run with him, because eventually he's going to leave if he develops the way we expect. Um, yeah, I mean, if they want to pay that kind of money, fine. I'll take the money. Arthur will take the money. The league will take the money. It's true. And then reinvest it. And that's, that's where MLS has to be smart. And that's something, you know, for, for Atlanta United fans to keep in mind is, you know, these moves with a Vishalba, with an Almiron and Romero would have fit into that as well. You're bringing a guy in to take them to another level from where they're at now and then move them on and reload. And you also are going to reload to the Academy. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit different structure. And for those of you who might be, newer to the soccer world I think you don't see you know a Chipper Jones you don't see I would have said Tom Glavin or John Smoltz but they went somewhere else late in their career you don't see much of that with somebody with you know their team forever I think you see a little more fluid movement of rosters in in soccer and especially in MLS and you know that's just how the business goes but what you want to see are the guys like a Carlton and a Goslin who are homegrown and come up and do well. And if they stay here for a long time, great. If they move on, that's still a win for the club. Yeah. Um, and let me ask you this, because we were talking about rosters anyway, and the Garza thing keeps coming up. Um, do you think if they get Garza, does that help? How Does that take a step in making one of the more formidable back lines we've seen in a young team, especially an expansion club. I mean, they've got, I think they've got the workings in place to have a back line that could be really damn impressive. As we've talked so often about how an expansion team needs to have a solid back line. Otherwise you're left in kind of that Orlando territory where, Oh, it's great if you scored in the 93rd minute to win one, but that still means you have to defend for 25 seconds and it's terrifying. I think this could right now be the best, expansion roster in MLS history in the modern era. And my modern era of MLS is 2008 and beyond when San Jose came back. Uh, Seattle is definitely the standard bearer when it comes to that. They made the playoffs in their first year. They're the only ones who have done that. And they had a very strong roster in year one. I think this one on paper right now could be better. A couple things to consider as we, we have this conversation. Atlanta United bet heavily on Miguel Almiron and Hector Vishalba coming in and performing at a very high level. They're being paid to be top players in this league. They're young players. Um, we don't know how long the transition is going to be. We don't know 
you know, how long it's going to take them to get comfortable. We don't know how long it's going to take this whole club to get used to Tata Martino's system. So where I worry is that the expectations, because of how good this roster is so far and just the talk around the country about how, you know, everything that Atlanta United is doing is very good, even if that's the case and everything clicks, they could still be a 500 team or worse just because of chemistry, of figuring it out, of all these players getting used to the MLS structure, getting used to the travel, all the things we've talked about. They could do everything right and still not make the playoffs, and that's not a failure. Uh, no, I, I agree. And I think people are getting more realistic about this. You know, we got really excited with a lot of these signings. Uh, one thing I'm picking up on pe- from people is like, yeah, we're excited, but people are being realistic saying, yeah, this could be an amazing expansion team, which is to say they could creep around the bottom of the playoff picture. Um, if they're in the middle of the playoff picture, that's unprecedented. If they're looking at like a four or five seed by that time, the playoffs hit, like that's unprecedented. That would be that would set a standard that I don't know anyone else can hit. It's it's tough. I mean, you look at look at Seattle and look at that 2009 backline. It was James Riley, it was John Kennedy Hurtado, it was Tyrone Marshall, and then a mix of guys: Patrick Yanni, Tyson Wall, uh, Leo Gonzalez. If this backline comes off of Greg Garza on the left, Michael Parkhurst in the center, uh, unknown top-level center back with Parkhurst, and either Lloyd or Bloom on the right, that is a very top-line backline in MLS. And then Brad Guzan with the U.S. national team in goal, you have the balance on paper of a very good club on the field. The questions are Almiron and Vishalba's adjustment, who's going to score the goals, and then the depth, which the depth is, I think, a question for every team in the league. That's not anything new for Atlanta because you're going to see a Vishalba or an Almiron get hurt. You're going to see national team call-ups. You're going to see just fatigue. You're going to have to see some squad rotation, and that's where it gets hard for an expansion team. And we've talked about the top line of this roster. The depth is something to look at now and picking up these pieces of guys like a Lorenowitz and a Peterson who can step in and play a lot of minutes for you if needed, but also be a guy in a reserve role as well and, and benefit the club in that way. Yeah. That's like, so that's where I'm at right now is just, we've got a couple more pieces to get. You got another designated player, so this could get really exciting because God only knows what they'll decide to get. Like they could go in a lot of different directions. Um, but de- after that, it's depth. After that, it's filling out the roster with guys who can contribute during a long season, who can step in because long season and also injuries. Like that's a thing. Like that's you don't you don't like it to be, but guys get injured. Um, we just watch, and to be fair, we just watched the team win the MLS Cup without their talisman, so to speak. In that. Um, you know, Dempsey has the uh, heart issue, and Sounders still win it all. I mean, that's that was a good story. But, like, you don't know when, you know, the anchor might get hurt or there might be a weird injury that kind of breaks down your back line or the, your, your string-up attack. Anything can happen. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, Jason, if you want to move on, uh, we got Super Draft uh, yeah. coming up. It's creeping Looking on at us. the the depth issue, I think the, the super draft could be a way to address that um, in a couple different ways. You know, Atlanta now sitting on the number two and number eight picks in the first round. Uh, I have a post coming out on dirty South soccer, actually in about 20 minutes, um, looking Ooh, at some options. You. I know. Good look at the point. preview right there. <laughs> That's great. Makes me happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you guys who are listening a little sneak preview of some of these guys that, Atlanta United could be considering. I mean, I really looked at who they could look at with the the two and the eight picks. We're not going further into the draft just yet. Uh, Forward, there's a couple guys. Jeremy Ababise, who we've talked about. Abu Dunladi um, from UCLA. We're expecting he will sign a Generation Adidas deal this year. He almost did last year. 
the biggest question is what Minnesota will do with number one, and most people think they'll go Ebabise. I don't know if Ebabise is necessarily a fit in Atlanta anyway, um, and I'm, I'm not sure about Dunlady for a couple reasons. He's had a lot of injuries, and that's, that's just a concern about taking him with a number two. Miles Robinson is a center back that I think could be a good fit here for depth. Uh, he's at Syracuse right now, played with the USU 20s. He's part of a three-man back line in Syracuse, so he's, he's got a little bit you know, different type of experience coming in. He scored goals off of set pieces. If he's a Generation Adidas guy, which keep in mind as we talk super draft, Generation Adidas players are not counted on your salary cap while they're part of that program. As we talk about increasing the depth of this team, that's critical. If you can get a non-salary cap player who can contribute, you're ahead of the game. So Robinson could be one of those guys. And as you look a little bit further down, there's a couple other Generation Adidas potential guys to look at. Tim Kubel is it's kind of a long shot on a Generation Adidas deal, but he's a right back at Louisville um, who is technical and can get forward well. And that would be you know, right in Tata Martino's wheelhouse. We have to see if he's going to sign a Generation Adidas deal, though. The other player, the other two players that are interesting to me in terms of Atlanta United are both at Wake Forest. Uh, Ja'Cory Hayes is a senior. He wouldn't be Generation Adidas. He's been part of U.S. youth national teams. Nobody really knows where he's going to fit at the next level because he's a smaller guy. He's played in the middle a lot at Wake Forest. A lot of people think in MLS he'll get thrown out wide. He's been a clutch player, and he's very good 1v1. Um, he could be kind of a wild card in this draft. I think he could do well in the right situation. And the other wild card here is Ian Harks. Harks, that is John Harks' son. He's been at Wake Forest for four <laughs> years. He has the potential to sign a homegrown deal with D.C. United, but there hasn't been much talk about it. And they're going to have to either make a move or he goes into the draft now. People wonder if he's a fit for how D.C. United likes to play because Harks is a possession-based center mid. He's a, a two-way guy. Like, he's not, he's not a highlight reel guy. He's not a guy who is outstanding at any one thing, but he's very well-rounded. And when you start to look at how Tata Martino might want to play, if you can get a kid who can pass and connect and can play a two-way midfield role, there's, there's a spot for him in this club. So if he goes into the draft, he might be available in that, that number eight spot. Even as a senior, even as a guy who would be on your cap, he could be a nice fit if he's available. He's really had a big senior season at Wake Forest and, and improved his stock. But the question is the D.C. United homegrown status if he goes there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this got brought up the other day, the idea of trading these picks, trading one of them, I should say that's on the board like that's an option like if you take one of them and you trade another one um because like this is my first this is my first super draft where i'm not just a casual observer i'm trying to get deeper into it i'm not sure what the value is of say the number two pick let's let's actually take a look at that because you have a a prime example last year of philadelphia union who made trades to get three of the top six picks. Um, and they picked up three guys who can work out bit really big for them. And they got three guys who contributed in a big way. When you look at the type of deals they made um, to get the number two, they acquired it from Colorado in exchange for general allocation money and a midfielder, Zach Pfeffer, who didn't amount to a whole lot there to get the number six pick Philadelphia, um, they actually acquired the number six pick general allocation money and targeted allocation money from Houston for Christian Maidana and Andrew Winger, who are good players. Uh, Maidana actually was let go by Houston, which kind of surprised me. Um, so you could see, yeah, that's kind of your ballpark. You're looking at probably allocation money. You could get a player and, you know, if you get, a player like a Christian Maidana, an Andrew Winger, a player like that that will play a good bit of minutes for you this season. You could use these picks either to improve your depth or to get another piece that would be more veteran depth. Could go either way. 
and that's, I guess, where my question is, uh, would they do that? Because I feel like, okay, we already had a team who took their first expansion pick and traded it for a super draft pick. That was confusing to some people, made them scratch their heads. Uh, we trade that number two pick, there are going to be more questions. Like, I don't care if it works out or not, there are going to be questions. Um, and I'm not, I'm not here to start a pitchfork uh, laden riot. I'm just saying people are going to have questions. They're going to be kind of confused uh, about the way we go about things in Atlanta. And that's fine. Um, they've done nothing yet to make us question anything they've done. This team has just put itself together incredibly solidly. So uh, we'll see where they go. I mean, I personally, I expect them to use both picks and to fortify the roster with both picks, with the transfer market when it opens up uh, internationally, and with free agent signings now that we've gotten the re-entry draft and all that jazz out of the way. I think they'll be willing to listen to deals, and if the right deal comes along, they'll take it, I think, for either pick. But if you get at least one generation Adidas guy and you would expect that with the number two, um, and you get another player who can improve your depth, then you win. If you If the right deal comes along, they'll take it, as we saw with Sean Johnson where you know they made a trade for him and then they doubled the outlay of allocation money to trade him along and get Brad Kuzan. So let's just let's wait and see. Um I think looking at you know is that a bad a good thing or a bad thing? It's it's way too early to tell and you have to kind of look at everything as a whole rather than each move individually because the roster is a puzzle and if you can add more puzzle pieces to make it work if you can add more resources to get something else, you know, it could be one of those types of deals where you get targeted allocation money for the number two pick or the number eight pick. And then you use that targeted allocation money to go get a left winger that would have been a designated player, but instead you're able to buy him down. Then it's a, you know, it's, it's just reallocating resources. Uh, that said, I'm happy to take Ebo BC if he's in that second slot, like to have another, Goal scorer up front, wherever you want to put him, I'm happy to have that. See, I'm. I just think there might be bigger holes out there. Um, oh, I don't. I don't disagree. I think there are. I think you would fill it with. I think there are better holes to fill with that. But if they didn't, I wouldn't be mad. Where I would be tempted, if say Minnesota goes the surprise route and takes Jackson UL, which has been rumored a little bit, he's a he Minnesota kid. He could. And if they go and get him instead, and Ebba is at number two, that's where I think the trade market could really open up. And Atlanta might be tempted to take a trade from a team that really wants Ebba whereas Atlanta might not be as high on Ebba because they might not feel they need him as much. So that's how these drafts go. And that's how any draft in any league goes. Like things are very fluid. Um, when I mean, players they, fall they could, down the board, things happen. They could, they could put a handshake deal in place. You know, first pick, uh, say uh, Minnesota goes the homegrown route. They could put a handshake deal in place with somebody and say, Hey, you guys want to have a B say, what do you want for him? Or well, you know, what are you willing to give up for him? Right. And they could pick him up and turn around and trade him. Like you said, I mean, they could, they could just put feelers out in the league and say, uh, who, uh, who wants to give the most for Jeremy Ibobisa? Who's down there on the list? Who's down there deep in the draft? Who won't have a shot at him? Uh, how much are you willing to overpay for it? That's not to say that anybody will be. They might just say, nah, we're good. Um, but yeah, they could put the feelers out there and see what people want. But yeah, it's otherwise, you know, um, as, as you pointed out, and as the last few drafts have shown us, there's plenty of value in those picks. I mean, Atlanta will be fine finding guys who can contribute. It's not like it's not like they're going to draft guys who are just unless they really, really, really miss, they're not going to draft guys who are out of the league in two years. I mean, if they're out of the league, it's going to be it's going to be because they go overseas. Right. Yeah, and and a player to to mention in that regard that has left the league, uh, Steve Newman. I, I really hate what happened with Steve Newman. Um, I've mentioned him a few times as a player that I thought could fit here. Very creative on the smaller side of a, a central midfielder, but creative and technical. And he went to a club that just did not fit his skill set. And 
they basically New England used him as kind of a utility midfielder. He'd play out wide. He's not fast enough to be effective out wide. Um, they'd play him in, you know, more of a holding or a box box role. He's not that he needs the ball at his feet. He needs to be able to create and he's out of the league now. And he's decided to retire because he didn't see a future in it. I hate that there are too many players like that. that are good soccer players who, for whatever reason, don't make it in MLS. And I hope that what Atlanta is trying to do with Tata Martino, with, you know, not being afraid of bringing in smaller players who are technical, I think this could start to turn that tide, but there's going to need to be more managers like this and more teams that take the approach. And if you didn't read my kind of a diatribe on Stars and Stripes FC this week about Hugo Perez's comments um, kind of along these lines, please go check that out. We just need to see more managers and more clubs that are not afraid to play good soccer and are willing to play, you know, a style of play that tries to win and not a style of play that is negative and not to lose. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, there's, there's a time and a place for everything. You'll, you'll see all these different styles. Um, I, every March, every June, every from March to June every year, I see the same stuff all the time about, uh, you know, we'll jump over to champions league for a second where it's, uh, uh, Atleti like sitting back because they're good at it and they're built for it. And their manager is certifiably insane and looks like he might murder someone at any given moment. Um, like he literally might leave them, leave them at the, at this park if they give up a goal. So like, there's a time and a place to play that style, but, um, it's not like there's not enough talent in the league or in the country to play whatever style. Um, so hopefully, I mean, I, I guess I where I want to go with it is I, you I, look I, at what Atletico Madrid has done and I'm not necessarily saying that's a, a bad thing to play oh, a no. counter attacking style because there is a huge difference. And I think people sometimes confuse it. There's a huge difference between a counter attacking style and a negative style. A negative style is a park the bus, put everybody behind the ball, kick it as high and as far away from your goal as you possibly can, and maybe you get lucky in something. A counterattacking style is different. There's actually a strategy to soaking up pressure and then hitting them quickly on the break. And you're going to see Atlanta do that sometimes because Tata Martino has shown he's very good at building teams that can do that. And you have the speed here to be able to do that. That's fine. It's it's not necessarily about being defensive or attacking. It's good soccer versus bad soccer. And to me, bad soccer is parking people behind the ball with no plan of how to attack just to try to kill the game or not give up anything. It's playing not to lose. Counterattacking is actually playing to win. It's just doing it in a different way. That's fine by me. Yes, it's using someone's aggression against them when you do it right. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it works. I mean, we, like you saw it with Leicester last year. Um, for an entire season, people just kept attacking them in wave after wave, and they would counter. And they'd counter with a long ball, don't get me wrong. Um, they would just counter, and then Vardy would poke home some goal or two a game. And But it wasn't like, a hopeless long ball. That's the difference. No, no. You know, it, there yeah, was no, a plan. Yeah, there was a plan behind it. It was always a good long ball to a guy who could finish. Um, I'll never not laugh just thinking about all that because that was an entire season of everyone going, we can attack them. It's fine. Yeah, we got this. We can attack them. Um, no, no, that's, you're doing exactly what they want. And you kept doing it and they won a title because you kept doing it. So good work. Good work, everybody. <laughs> um, let's talk about anyway, the MLS yeah. schedule for a minute uh, before we get into some MLS news. Yeah. Uh, Schedule-wise, we know the home opener now. We know the first away game. We've got the Red Bulls coming to town to Bobby Dodd Stadium for the home opener, and we have a trip to Minnesota in week two. Um, I guess the – I mean, you know, it's still too early to say. I mean, I've seen people, you know, asking if, you know, how do you you call this game so far, and I I have no idea yet. Red Bulls will be coming to Atlanta after a Thursday night CONCACAF Champions League game in Vancouver. So that will hurt them a bit in getting here. Also, uh, these are both national television broadcast windows. And 
Yeah, they haven't announced the national TV schedule yet, but these are Sunday games in those windows. I think that says a lot about how the league and how the TV partners are looking at what Atlanta United is and how they could be a valuable television property nationally. Yeah, and that's um, – you got to imagine opening night. I get that it's at Bobby Dodd. And there's going to be more passing involved in that game than that stadium has seen in like 15 years. But there, I mean, that's going to be lit as hell. I mean, just to, just to put it in the end of that speak um, first game in that stadium. Yeah. People, I get that people wanted to start the year in the new stadium. Yeah. First game of the franchise's existence against the defending, uh, uh, no, not the defending East champs. <laughs> um, against one of the better teams. Well, in the East regular year. season, yeah. yeah. Yeah, regular season East champs. I was thinking of the playoffs. Um, like that's going to be something else. Like that place is going to be packed. It's going to be loud. It's going to be energetic. Uh, God only knows what direction it's all going to go in in terms of the game itself. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And um, I think if you're going to build a TV market, that's the way to go. Yeah, these are two big games. Um, you know, the first game in franchise history at home against the Red Bulls will be a spectacle for TV. And then the following week in Minnesota for their first home game uh, between the two expansion teams will also be a spectacle. So cool to see Atlanta getting that national TV hype. Um, and I would expect that could continue as the season goes on. We've got a couple questions uh, from, from some of our listeners this morning. Uh, Joseph yeah, Joseph May, uh, he asked about Dario Benedetto, and we're going to get there in a minute in our MLS kind of roundup. Uh, Chris Ashley asked about the announcement today of Oscar to Shanghai, and anyway, this could be confused for Romero, and we still have a chance. Unfortunately, no. Um, I think the Chinese clubs have decided to sign every player named Oscar this season and they're getting them both. Uh, the only question that I've seen is I've seen Shanghai SIPG and Shanghai Shinwa mentioned pretty interchangeably when it comes to Romero. So I don't know where that stands and which one he's going to end up at, but all accounts out of Argentina is that he is going to China and taking the money because it was, a pretty significantly upgraded offer. Uh, when you look at, I think 14 million is what was thrown around and three times the salary than he was going to get here. That's just where it stands. So uh, unless something drastically changes or all of the leading journalists in Argentina are wrong, Romero will be going to one of the Shanghai clubs and Atlanta will have that third designated player slot available. Now back to Benedetto, that is a player that would be a designated player. He is a goal-scoring forward from Boca Juniors. Um, well, allegedly, that would be all of their money. Like, they're going to be backing up a truck for that. Yeah, I think the, the offer that's out there is $14 million. Um, he has been linked to Seattle and LA Galaxy with that offer. The thing that when this started popping off last night, uh, and Juan Arango was one of the first uh, American journalists to have this. Benedetto is represented by the same agent as Tito Vichalba. That jumped out to me as, well, maybe Atlanta's in this, but they haven't been mentioned specifically yet. And when you start to look at the fit, it, it might be a little different. And we talked earlier about, you know, would you see – Tata Martino try to figure out a way to get a second forward on the field, even if they're in that central attacking role, really playing more as like a shadow striker. Benedetto would be that player. He could play that. He's played some second striker, some shadow striker in his career. I think he's better as a front runner, but if he could find a rhythm and combination with Kenwin Jones, that could be lethal. Remember, though, he's being linked to Seattle and L.A. in the media in Argentina, and Atlanta hasn't been mentioned yet. The only connection is the agent. Benedetto's agent is the same as Tito Pichalva. Oh, so we should bring him here. I got you now. Cool. <laughs> if, we swooped, if we swooped in and grabbed Benedetto, I would, I would probably die of laughter. If Atlanta just swooped in and pulled a Shanghai, 
and just like last minute swing on a rope, grab him away from Seattle at the last minute, I would probably die a happy man laughing. That would be amazing if that happened. Um, you want to talk about being the villain? Oh, oh, we're the villain, but oh, we can make it worse. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, Juan Arango has, says, as of now, uh, Benedetto to LA Galaxy or Sounders FC, multiple sources in Argentina tell me the former. So now things might be pointing more at LA when a lot of it was early. The early talk was Seattle. Uh, so Benedetto would be, I mean, obviously a great piece, but probably unlikely. Um, just have to stay tuned on that one. Uh, some other MLS stuff. We talked about Darlington Nagby a little bit earlier. Looks like uh, your boys Celtic are, are throwing some pretty big money at Portland to get him. Uh, what do you think? Um, look, it's from the Sun, so take it for what it is. It's the back page of the Sun. Um, a Rob commented on this Wednesday. It was like, look, it's the sun. He's right. It's the sun. Um, you, t- you take this for what it is, for what that is. Like, it's not, that is not ironclad. We know they've been looking at him. Um, they had him over for when they played Barcelona, which was actually a really good match in, in Glasgow. When they went to Barcelona, they lost like seven, nothing. Uh, when they played in Glasgow, it was a two, nothing game. It was a really good game. Um, they had him over for that experience. When they when they bid originally, I think it was one or two million. Uh, Portland said no, and I was really glad they did, in the sense that I would like the MLS to do that. Value your players higher. Don't let teams from Europe come over here. And I know I'm getting on a soapbox. Don't let them come over here and bully you into just taking your players for below what they're worth. Um, that's the thing I think that happens a lot. And I'm, it, it, it aggravates me in other leagues when that happens, that you get these big money clubs that can take genuine talent from what they perceive to be lower leagues and get them for pennies on the dollar of what they're actually worth. So I'm glad MLS and, the, and Portland held out. And if it is $4 million, that's fine. If Portland wants to say, nah, $6 million, or, you know, no go, no win, I'm fine with that. Value your, uh, I'd like the league and the teams to value the players where they belong. Now, as far as if he goes to Celtic, there's playing time to be had there. The only, like, uh, uh, I watch Celtic so no one else has to. That's, that's <laughs> about where we're at. Um, as, as far as, like, an attacking mid goes, Tom Rogic, who's a really, really good Australian attacking mid, is the usual go-to with Celtic these days. I can count on one hand how many times I've watched Tom Rogic play 90 minutes. It's like for a 25 year old, it's kind of disheartening and he's an amazing finisher. Like the kind of finisher I would want in Atlanta, like can finish at just about any angle can finish with the ball at just about any height, long range, short range, whatever. I would love to have a guy like Tom Rogic. I think he would tear apart the MLS if he could play for 90 minutes. That said, he's really the only attacking mid who plays there. Um, I think Patrick Roberts has slid in, who's a Manchester City kid who's on loan. I think he slid over to the middle a couple times, but otherwise, like, that, that spot's wide open. That's a spot Celtic would like to fill anyway. Play the slot in behind a Musa Dembele, who is going to be really short-lived before one of the big European clubs comes and scoops him up. I think it would work for Nagby if he doesn't get murdered, because the Scottish League is just... The Scottish League is rough. It's not great. But it's violent, and that it is what it is. And I honestly watch it. I think there are many times where MLS is a better league in terms of quality of play, uh, mostly because Scottish League just turns into a scene from Braveheart at times. So um, I think it would be good for Nagby in terms of getting over to Europe. I, and saying this as a fan, I think there are better teams to go to than Celtic. I think it could work. He'll get European experience next year when they um, – when they do the qualifiers for the Champions League, so he'll get that. But I think there are better clubs he could go to over there. And um, yeah, I think he, I think it, I think it would work in the sense that they've got the opening for him. But I think there are better clubs and better leagues for him to go to. So yeah, I would, I would, I would let him go because I love him. <laughs> I'm gonna borrow your uh, soapbox for a second, and please, you know what you were saying about. MLS valuing its players higher. This was something that frustrated me last year and happened multiple times where MLS let a player go on a free rather than trying to get a transfer fee on players who then went around, turned and signed with somebody. Uh, 
I'm trying to remember the player now who uh, went to Sao Paulo and MLS just let him walk and they signed him on a free instead of paying a transfer. I, I want, like you said, I want MLS to be a little more aggressive when it comes to both acquiring players and selling players. They need to value them higher. They need to value the work that the clubs are putting into them more. And that needs to be consistent. We can't let players walk so often because it happened multiple times last year. And it was really strange to me. I hope that's not a trend. And I hope we start to see MLS be more of a player in the world transfer market. And the Nagby deal could be one. Um, I would think he might be able to get a little bit more money uh, from a from I, I think a European could. club. Even if he goes there, I think he could do that. Do the thing where he stays for a year or two, tries to build up his value, and ends up jumping to say the championship down south. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for him is if he can get back into the national team, and it sounds like Bruce Arena would bring him back and maybe actually play him. Shockingly enough, um, <laughs> does he play him where he belongs? Well, Bruce is pretty good about that. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be negative about that just yet. I mean, let let's see if he'll prove me wrong first. Hey, now but, he's uh, back. Where's he playing? He's playing right back. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, I don't think we're gonna see the ghost of Cleansy on that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I think we're gonna see more of this type of stuff happen. Uh, more talk about players moving in the off seasons. There is a bit of a challenge with the MLS calendar in this, and and that could be another whole show if we wanted to get into it. But oh yeah, uh, the other bit of news I wanted to mention that I thought was interesting yesterday is Mike Petke, former manager at New York Red Bulls, who did well and then was let go in a pretty surprising move, and it's worked out for him. You know, you can't you look back at it now, and you know Petke did well, Jesse Marsh has done well. They've kind of played in a different way, so it makes a little more sense in the long run. But Pecky is now the manager of Real Monarchs, the Real Salt Lake USL team. And the question that immediately jumps out at you is, is that, does that mean Jeff Kassar is on the hot seat at Real Salt Lake? Because now you have a guy who has won a supporter shield as your USL manager. Hmm. That's a good question. Salt Lake's been kind of in a holding pattern. It gives you a fallback. Like, you Mm -hmm. have put into place the fallback if things get pear-shaped. And I I actually do like when teams do that. Not not necessarily to say to pressure your managers that if you don't win, we're going to fire you immediately. I don't like that idea about it. But you've got someone with experience who can work with your USL team, which is important. Like, that's – it's not there just for kicks and giggles. Like, that team does not exist just – for no reason, uh, it'd be a good it'd be a good voice in the ear of some of the young some of the kids at UCL or USL UCL, um, and it gives you a fallback if things do get pear shaped. Someone you can plug in immediately with experience because, uh, despite you know us having Tata Martino, uh, you know a lot of teams really do want that MLS experience in their manager. And it gives you that guy to lean back on. As you said, they've been in a holding pattern. Decide to shake things up and try and make wholesale changes. Then you've got some immediately you can plug in. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you would bring him in and say, here's the interim job. Show me what you got. Or uh, if you would just hand it to him outright. Um, and get personally, I think it's crazy. You've always run the interim route and see what, see how the team reacts with somebody. Uh, look at Seattle this year. But it, it provides them with insurance. And I'm okay with that. It provides you with another experienced league voice in, with your USL kids, and it provides you with insurance if things get weird. So, yeah. Uh, doesn't mean there's more heat. There should already be heat because Real Salt Lake is kind of an afterthought to me personally. Not that I have issues with the team, but like they're not they're not up there you know, competing year in and year out for championships, which is where you want to be. So at some point, you got to start making changes lest you get caught in that dreaded vortex that the Hawks were in for, what, 10 years in basketball, where, you know, you're good enough to make the playoffs or just sneak into the playoffs, but you're not going to do anything. And that's where Salt Lake has kind of settled is, you know, you had the run with Jason Christ that got them to an MLS Cup. 
yeah. a runner-up in an MLS Cup, a runner-up in CONCACAF Champions League over about a five-year stretch. And the problem they have now is some of those key figures from that five-year stretch that ended four years ago are still there and still playing a lot of minutes in Kyle Beckerman and Nick Raimondo, Javier Morales up until this season. Salt Lake is going to need a makeover very soon. And I wonder if this is kind of a precursor to that. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, interesting move though. And it's, it's good. I think to see long-term a more experienced, uh, proven manager in USL. I think it, it raises the level there. I think it's a good fit for the, the kids at Real Monarchs to learn from a guy who's been in the league as a player and a manager and can help them get there. I think that's a, a nice step. And, you know, as we look way down the road for Atlanta United, you could see some things like that happen once Atlanta United goes the USL route, uh, which I would expect in the long term, but it might be the long term for yeah. Atlanta United to bring a USL team in uh, quick hitter. And this is because you talked about it a minute ago about the league valuing their players properly. Um, this is from like a week and a half ago. So don't t- they take this with the largest block of salt you can find. Um, Fernando Adi was being scouted by Rangers in Scotland. Speaking of players who the league needs to figure out if they're going to sign long-term or move and not let him go on a free transfer somewhere, please. Yeah, and he's another one that would be a commodity, I think. And they could collect a nice transfer fee. And when you collect that transfer fee and then can reinvest it back into the league, um, that's important. And whether you reinvest it in bringing another player in or you reinvest it into your academy or into your staffs or you know, giving raises to players on your team who've done well, that's only going to strengthen the league. And that's, that's the, the soccer market that we're in. And these are the things that, you know, Atlanta fans will need to keep in mind as we go, you know, love the players while they're, they're in the shirt, but you will see turnover from year to year and you will see things happen for the benefit of the club as a whole. Yeah. That's um, just, gotta, I mean, gotta benefit the club. Sometimes you need to rip off the bandaid. Like we're to that point with Salt Lake, uh, and with the league as a whole, sometimes with these guys like, oh, you don't want to see him leave, but he's going to leave on a free transfer. So rip off the Band-Aid and get something for it, please. Um, yeah, LA Galaxy I, I, are in, kind of in that role right now where they're having to look at really who they are and what they are. And do they, you know, they they went with established Galaxy guys as the new GM and as the manager. And do you see them go younger or do you see them still spend the money like they have been with, Benedetto, who they're rumored to be spending $14 million on a transfer to get him and try to compete with LAFC coming in. The league is in a very interesting spot going forward. You know, we've talked a lot about MLS 1.0 and MLS 2.0, and is this MLS 3.0 with Atlanta coming in and, and changing things, and then LAFC coming in next year being very aggressive. It's probably a little early to say, but I think you're going to see some different things happen in this league. You're already seeing it with an Almiron, with a Vishalba, now with Benedetto, even Romero and the rumors around Romero. You're seeing a different type of player being pursued, and you're seeing things. You're just, you're just seeing the league grow up, I think, is where we're at. Yeah, and um... – and that's going to be inter- the way they're spending money. This will be the last thing before we wrap it up. Uh, this will be interesting for me with LAFC, with LAFC and uh, the Galaxy. Uh, do the Galaxy? They're at a crossroads. Do they go the more homegrown uh, route, or do they get involved in an arms race with LAFC? Because this almost sounds like they're ready to get into an arms race if they need to. That could be really fun to watch for you know when you're not playing them. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I don't know if they can win that arms race. Uh, we'll see. I I would probably go in a different direction, but I don't okay. know. We'll see what happens with LA. It's going to be a fun storyline this season. So, yeah. anything anything else, Jarrett? Before we uh, sign off for the day? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, let me check Twitter real quick. Make sure we got nothing else lined up. Um, no, not really. Um, uh, Joseph says Yenzen trumps 
Pucha Plata. That is the case for now. He's okay with us turning the Shang- uh, making the Shanghai turn. So uh, <laughs> he also suggests Colorado being a team interested in Ibobise if we drafted him. Yeah, I think there's a few that could be looking for that forward. So if if he falls to that number two spot, you could definitely see the phone ringing at the Atlanta United offices uh, to try to make a deal. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. Have a a happy holidays um, with family and friends. And we'll be back next Friday to talk more about Atlanta United, MLS. Join us then. For Jarrett Smith, I'm Jason Longshore. Thanks, guys. See you all next time. Take care.